Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, where food bloggers come to get their fill of the latest tips, tricks, and insight into the world of food blogging. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll provide you with the tools you need to add value to your blog, and we'll also ensure you're taking care of yourself because food blogging is a demanding job. Now, please welcome your host, Megan Porta. Food bloggers, hey, are you looking for new ways to make money as a blogger? If so, we have got your back. We have launched an ebook called Conversations on Monetization. Inside this resource, we take your favorite podcast episodes about monetization and we put them all in one easy, accessible package. We threw a few exclusive interviews in as well. Friends, there are so many ways to monetize your food blog. Inside this ebook, we have interviews with success stories like Todd Bullock, Alyssa Brantley, Kelly McNellis, Jenna Carlin, and more. All of these examples have become successful through completely different monetization strategies. Whether you are a brand new blogger looking for your very first revenue stream, or you are a seasoned pro wanting to diversify, this ebook is for you. Go to eatblogtalk.com to grab your copy, and we can't wait to hear your success story with monetization. Hey, food bloggers, welcome to Eat Blog Talk. This podcast is for you, food bloggers wanting value and clarity to help you find greater success in your business. Today, I have Laura Arteaga from Six Hungry Feet with me, and we are going to talk about her journey in food blogging and how she and her husband grew their food blog really quickly. Six Hungry Feet is a vegetarian family food blog, along with her husband and 21-month-old toddler. Together, they develop, photograph, and write family recipes for families that have a passion for tasty and healthy meals. Laura, I cannot wait to dig into your story. It sounds like such a great one. But before we do that, give us a fun fact about yourself. Hi, Megan. Uh, thanks for having me here today. I'm really excited to be uh, chatting with you. So a fun fact would be uh, something that we still remember and laugh about. Uh, I met my husband in Sweden while we were both studying there around nine years ago. And he's a vegetarian from, uh, he was born from when he was born. And he's, uh, he loves cooking. So at the time, I didn't know anything about vegetarianism or cooking. But I still decided to cook uh, paella for him, like a Spanish paella. And I remember calling my mom and my grandma for advice, but it still went horribly. So I cooked this really bad paella and it ended up, yeah, poor him. It ended up being like a bad risotto. So he still ate it because uh, I think he wanted to impress me. And <laughs> But yeah, that's still funny. And if somebody would have told me back then, are oh, you going to be a food blogger in nine years? I probably would have laughed. <laughs> that that is super funny. I feel like we all need those stories of massive food failures, though, because we can bring them up later and laugh about them. And it's great that it happened when you two were just connecting and getting to know each other. It's like a n- connection yeah, point, totally. right? It's a good memory. I mean, obviously, yeah. it was a fail. But if it were a success, then you wouldn't be talking about it. So yeah, he's still here by my side. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Well, that says it all. That's funny. Um, Thank you for sharing that. I am super excited to talk to you, Laura. You guys have quite a story to share, and I'm hoping this will give food bloggers listening hope and maybe some encouragement 
to keep going because it's not always an easy job to get through uh, week after week, month after month, year after year. So you took your food blog from zero to 50,000 unique page views in less than eight months while keeping your non-blogging jobs, right? And raising a toddler, which all of that just seems crazy overwhelming. So I would love it if you would talk through your story. How and why did you start food blogging and then bring us up to today? So we started our food blog in April this year when everything went a bit crazy uh, all over the world. So we are in Spain and we we had a really strict confinement here. So we were allowed to go out of the house just for food shopping and we weren't even allowed to go out for for a walk. So um, at the time where we spent all our time at home and our toddler was still one year old, so he was having different naps during the day. And uh, that gave us some time to actually uh, think of something that we we really wanted to do or we really wanted to start as a family so I remember my husband uh, told me maybe we should build something like a side project because we don't know how this situation is going to impact our jobs and and we don't know how how this year is going to go so we thought okay well, what do we want to do and we we both love cooking we have a really strong passion for for food and uh, we decided, okay, why don't we do a food blog? Even if we didn't know anything about food blogging, um, we already had a, a blog, uh, like a traveling blog back in 2016, because we were uh, traveling quite a lot then. But that had to stop because we had uh, Luca. But um, yeah, we basically decided uh, that was what we were going to focus on. And, and we invested our free time at, the, at that time doing uh, this food blog. So growing a food blog from, from zero. Wow. So you took your time at home as a way to kind of think through something that you could do that could bring in some extra money. And you didn't know anything about food blogging. That is crazy. So how did you learn? I mean, were you people who had read food blogs before? How did you even know that was a thing? Like, how did you get into that? So yeah, um, I normally look for recipes online because my husband, he's a natural for cooking. I'm not that natural. <laughs> I need to check recipes and, and get some inspiration before I, I step into the kitchen. And it's something that always interested me. And, and uh, as I said, we love cooking and we spend a lot of time in the kitchen. We Every time somebody comes home, they expect to have a, a proper meal cooked for them because they know we're not going to be getting a takeaway. Um, so, yeah, we we didn't know much about food blogging, uh, but soon we realized there is this huge community of food bloggers that are more than happy to help. And uh, any question we had, then it got answered. We kind of got motivated to, to do it because we thought, okay, there is loads of people there that are actually going to want to help us and that we can learn from. Uh, and they don't expect much in return. So at the time, we are kind of doing what we, what we expected at the beginning, that was to get help from, from people that already knew what they were doing. Yeah, you're right. There's such a huge community here that... I, when you figure it out, like so many people are willing to help you and get you through this journey and help you with any questions that you have. I think that is the basis for so many things because if the community weren't big, that obviously would not be 
as desirable to launch into it. Yeah, <laughs> it's not as easy. Yeah, so you asked around, you figured out what you needed to do to start, and then you just got started. Did you do a lot of research beforehand about like SEO or um, photography or anything like that? I already knew a little bit about SEO because of the food blogger, oh, sorry, about the travel blog that we had before. Um, I didn't know as much either. And then my husband, he is passionate about photography. So that was a, a bonus because <laughs> he, he already had a good camera at the point. We already upgraded it, but he wanted to get better at photography. Uh, soon we're going to start doing videos as well. And that's something that he is still learning, but he's really into. So it doesn't take much effort to learn something when you're really passionate about um so yeah th those two big points were were already there oh that's great and i always say this that everyone needs food everyone needs recipes it doesn't matter what is going on in the world there can be a global pandemic but we still need food so food totally, blogging yeah. really is a good option whereas yeah. something like travel blogging yeah. i mean yeah everyone loves to travel but we can't always travel and that is has been more clear than ever in the past year so I think food blogging, if there's any sort of blogging that anyone wants to do, food blogging is a good way to go. It yeah. is, yeah. And we are really lucky as well because a lot of people are trying to go plant-based now or eating less uh, dairy, less meat products. And we already had that at home. Like, we don't need to learn how to cook uh, yummy recipes without meat. We, we already do that every day. And uh, my husband, he's been a vegetarian since he was born. So it's something that we haven't had to learn or, or we don't need to be pushy about because it's, it's something that we already know how to do. That's so great. Yeah, people definitely are going more toward that healthy side. So it's like you guys came in with a few... Um, pieces of it already in place, which is great for you. So you've had a few things on your side. And something else I always say is that people who start food blogging or blogging at all today compared to, say, starting, I don't know, seven-ish years ago, are at an extreme advantage because there are so many people who have come before you and who have lessons to impart that they have learned along the way. So I'm sure that you learned some of those lessons from people who have been through it. So tell us some of your tips, Laura, that helped you find that quick success that you guys have found. So um, when we started the blog, uh, yeah, we had loads of questions because even if we had already a few points that, that we already mentioned, we, we knew there was loads of information out there that we didn't really know how to handle, how to implement that in our blog. So we started creating this first recipe uh, that is still on the blog, the original one. Uh, we created this vegetarian ramen and we were so excited because it was going to be the first recipe in the blog. Um, we love ramen and we spent two days uh, creating this recipe. So uh, back in the day, we were, <laughs> we were really happy with the results. But now I look at the recipe and oh, it needs redoing, it needs so so much work done because uh, it took us two days, but it's still not good. <laughs> um, so once we had the recipe posted, um, we thought, okay, now what? What do we do with this? So what do we do with, with all this information? How do we, 
how do we get people to click on our website? How do we get people to make the recipe, to leave us a comment? And how do we promote the recipe? Or how do we know the information we're giving is what people are actually looking for? And, uh, you know, all these questions that you get from from the first recipe, because this is all the things that you have to learn um, later on. Um, so we started looking for information and when you start your blog there there is a lot of information out there that it's really helpful but sometimes it can be a bit overwhelming so if I had to choose one thing uh, of all the things that we've learned during this eight or nine months of blogging uh, that would be to focus on uh, good quality content and promotion and I know that this might, might sound obvious because we we know that, but there is loads of other things that can keep you stressed or, or can keep you sidetracked. And uh, it did happen to us. And we had to fool ourselves back to, okay, we need good quality content and we need to be promoting the content properly. Um, but yeah, it, it, it can be a bit challenging to, to find your main focus when you are starting Yes, that is, I think, one of the hardest parts is figuring out what your thing is. And then you touched on this a little bit. Yeah, you can have quality content, but how do you know that that content is something that people are actually wanting? So you started out with your ramen um, recipe and you were like, yes, this is great. We love this recipe. And you put it out there and you just assume, and I think we all do this. It's not just you. We all put things out there that we just assume everyone's going to want because we love it. So why wouldn't everyone else love it? And then we realize, oh, wait, (laughs) maybe not everybody does love this as much as I do. (laughs) So how do you recommend figuring that out? Is it just a matter of just doing more and creating a bunch of different types or varieties of recipes just to see what people are resonating with or what are your thoughts? So Yeah, I think that our main problem was that uh, we were focusing on too many things at once. We didn't really just focus on creating the recipe and, and checking what was already out there and, and comparing that content to our blog. So we were focusing on getting the recipe out, uh, maybe putting it on, on Pinterest, having it on Instagram. And I think all that kind of, uh, diluted the result that we wanted to get from the ramen. So um, our recommendations in this, w- when you start in a blog, would be to 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 have some things in mind from day one, like uh, for example, building a mail list. So we we create we, we made this mistake that was uh, not having a proper sign up form where people could see it. So during the first eight months of blogging. Maybe we got 100 subscribers to our mail. And um, we realized of that a bit late. Then we said, okay, we need to do something about it. We need to add a pop-up window offering uh, people something. So this last month, we've been trying that. And we got over 10 times more subscribers in a month than we did in the last eight months. And I wish somebody would have told me that from the beginning. Like, I know when you start a blog, maybe you don't, you, don't, you cannot offer uh, much to your readers because you don't have enough content, but you can always have a sign-up form where people can actually see it. And people that like your recipe, they will already be in your mail list for when you are ready to, to send your first newsletter. 
And uh, so this is something, for example, that I would say, yeah, that 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 has to be there from day one. Um, and then other things like, for example, Instagram or having your own Facebook page or creating videos, you might not need to have that from day one. It will come uh, eventually, but I don't know. I wouldn't recommend to spend so much time, for example, on Instagram, uh, following other people or liking other people's uh, content. If, if that's not your main focus. So if you if your main focus at the moment is to, to grow your content and to grow your audience, maybe spend a little bit of time on Instagram to have your portfolio or your best your best pictures there, maybe to, to have the account set up for when you want to start uh, contacting companies to, to do some collaborations, um, or when you have a bit more time to invest on Instagram, but not from day one, because that's not going to drive traffic to your website uh, from the beginning. It's, it's really difficult to grow an Instagram account if you are starting from zero today. Oh, that is so true. And I think that is a message that newer bloggers need to hear because there are so many food bloggers who have massive accounts. And when you're new, you get hung up on that and you see those numbers and you're like, what? I can't. How can I even get there? There's no way. So just hearing that from somebody who just started, I think is really good. So focusing on your content, get quality content out there, figure out who you're serving and what your thing is. And like you said earlier, Laura, don't dive into too many things at once. Just start simple and test with a few things or maybe one thing at a time to see what resonates. The email thing is huge. I feel bad that you went for so long without knowing that. I know. <laughs> it's something that we did know that we were doing it wrong, but we didn't really have time to sit down and talk about it. So we kept going through this uh, conversation kind of argument with my husband, like, this is not working. This is not working. But we actually didn't do anything till last month. I said, okay, enough. So uh, I'm going to set up a newsletter that I'm going to be doing for January, like a healthy kind of uh, meal plan. So we need to get it out there. And I want a pop-up window and I want it now. So my husband is the tech, the tech part of 600 feet. He was like, okay, I'm going to try to get that set up now. But yeah, we, I had to step my foot down. <laughs> well, have some grace with yourself too, because eight months, not even a year into blogging and you're figuring it out. I mean, that is really good because it took me a lot longer years to figure out things that were really important in food blogging. And yeah, so just have a little grace with yourself. I, it is very important, but I think it's great that you figured it out within a year because that probably is faster than a lot of us do. So happy to hear that. <laughs> good job for figuring out that was necessary. And then, yeah, the Instagram and Facebook setups, I think it's good to tell people to have your account set up. I mean, it takes like two seconds to open account, an account, right? So do that, open the accounts, but don't necessarily dive in right away. I think it's really good to deliver that message that it's okay to sit on your accounts until you're ready to actually do something with them. Are you guys finally diving into your Instagram and Facebook accounts or how long did that take you? So for us, uh, 
when we started Six Hungry Feet, the food blog, uh, we already had the Instagram account set up because I started that before doing the food blog. I just had a, an account uh, while I was pregnant. I, I did it. So I call it Six Hungry Feet. And I was just posting my food that I was going to eat that day. <laughs> and then my husband deleted all those pictures because he said they, they're horrible. So we have to start from zero. And then we started posting the pictures that uh, we created for the, for the, for the blog. So that's it, basically. What we do on Instagram is we put the, the new recipes there. Sometimes we share some stories uh, if we are cooking in the kitchen or if we have, you know, something that we think people might like to see. And we just start doing some reels. But we try to not invest more than 30 minutes a day on Instagram because it doesn't, it doesn't bring traffic to our website. And uh, we already had some some collaboration with uh, companies that um, that they came from Instagram because that's where we find the the companies that have products that can fit our blog. And yeah, the collaborations we've done so far they've all come from Instagram. That's great that you started before you even started your blog. That you had the account set up and you kind of knew how it worked. And hopefully you were collaborating with some peers and, you know, figuring out who um, you could connect with in the food blogging world. So Instagram does have benefits. It doesn't drive traffic, but I've met most of my food blogging friends through Instagram. So there is huge value in being there, but uh, you don't have to be there all the time. 30 minutes a day is such a smart way to go about Instagram, especially when you're just starting out because yeah, like you said, the traffic isn't flowing in from that source, but it is good to just kind of be present there for a little bit. I actually I have days where I set a timer for myself and 30 minutes is my kind of like timeline too for being on there. I will set my timer for 30 minutes and when it goes off, I'm done <laughs> because I feel like yeah. otherwise it can just suck you in and I don't need to be there. So why do that to myself? I have to do the same. Sometimes I go on, on Instagram to just post a picture and I find myself looking at cute baby pictures. Yeah, so, exactly. <laughs> uh, Instagram has that. Uh, you can get sidetracked really fast. And um, I think uh, we we see Instagram more as a portfolio for our pictures. So it's a place that people can see what we do, what we cook, uh, our photo style, our, yeah find our website there and a little bit about uh, what we are at 600 feet and we do the same with the Facebook page so we have a Facebook page uh, set up and we we post regularly but we don't spend much time on it because you don't reach many people on Facebook page so we have I don't know we have like a thousand followers there but every time we post something the people you're going to reach is is not nearly that number so um, it doesn't bring traffic directly if you post on your Facebook page. There are people who really dig into Facebook and Instagram and see huge wild success. I am not one of those people, but they're pretty rare. But I think for the most part, it's more normal to just kind of let your Facebook page sit and collect followers over time. It's more of a long game for most people. That's not yeah, true for everybody. Um, the good thing with Facebook as well is that you can invite all your friends and family and they are going to be your biggest supporters from the beginning. So they are the ones that are going to be happy seeing your new recipes and they're going to go inside the website. So 
um, it's a it's a good place as well to let the people that uh, your friends and family to let them know what what you're doing or what you started. So let's talk a little bit more about quality content because you've said this a few times and you guys came into food blogging already having great photography skills and you knew how to build a post with decent SEO. So what are some other things we can do to make sure that our or that our content is quality from the beginning? So when we before we start writing any of our recipes, uh, what we do now, or, or what I do, because this is my, my side of the job, is uh, I do a little bit of research uh, that helps me to create uh, a good content or content that people will want to actually read or, or look for. And uh, this is something that I think everybody can do. Um, the, the research I do, it's, it's totally free. And, and for me, it's, it's really worth it. So uh, the first thing I do, I, I ask myself if this is something that people will actually look for. Um, if the answer is yes, then there's no question there. Just go for it. So, for example, one of our top recipes is this pad thai. We made a vegetarian pad thai and it was one of our first recipes. I don't know if it was in two months of blogging. And it's still our top recipe because it's something that people know and people look for. And um, there is many recipes for vegetarian pad thai out there. But we kind of specified a bit more on the name. So, so we got good ranking. And uh, yeah, if you create something that people are already writing about, even if there is so many food bloggers that already wrote about, I'm sure that you can give it the unique touch that your blog has and still adds value into that uh, recipe. And then if if this is if, if the recipe you have in mind is something that people are might not actually look for. So if the answer is no, <laughs> then you have two options. Uh, one option is to think of another recipe and say, okay, <laughs> maybe I'm not gonna go for that one. But then another option is to check if you can maybe change the name into something that people will know or people will can kind of relate to. So uh, a few weeks ago, we wanted to do this vegan sobrasada, which is a local product from, from where we live. And it's something really, really local. So we knew that we weren't going to get people looking for, uh, for it in English. Um, so this is something that is made with meat and we veganized and we made it with sunrise tomatoes. So we thought, OK, why don't we call it sunrise tomato pate? Um, and then we put the vegan sobrasada in. Um, and this, then this is something that people can actually look for or if if we promote it and somebody sees then they will know straight away what it is okay I like sunlight tomatoes I like uh, pate I'm looking for a spread to put on my bread then maybe I will go in and look into this recipe so that's something that you can do too that's a great tip so if there's a recipe that you're really loving but when you search on google to see if other people are liking it and it really isn't very visible just give it a spin and change the wording so that people are more familiar with it. I think that's such a great tip. I don't think I've ever heard anyone say that. And I like that you just turned a recipe that maybe people in America wouldn't know and you turned it into pate, which they do know. And then how is that recipe doing? Well, it's good. Like we just posted, I think last week. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's, it's going good. It's not, it's not going to be our biggest recipe because it's something, it's a, it's a spread. So it's not a main dish. 
but uh, we are including it in some uh, snack boards as well. So it's like linking into other recipes. And uh, it's something that we, we make weekly and we love it. We, we really love this at home. So I really wanted to get it on the blog and uh, we just thought, okay, let's do it this way. And then this way we can promote it and, and people will actually know what we're talking about. Yeah, that's a great tip. Do you have anything else for quality content? Just making sure our content is super quality. So this is the first question that I normally ask myself. And then I Google the, the name of the recipe that I want to make. And I, because I use Google, uh, and then I, I see what the competition is for this recipe. Um, so, for example, if we go back to the vegetarian pad thai, if you Google vegetarian pad thai, there is so many uh, big food bloggers out there that already wrote about. So, at the time when you when you are um, googling the recipe that you want to write about, you can decide depending on how big your blog is. Uh, okay, I need to specify a bit more what my recipe is about so I get a chance to be shown in Google. Or is this something I can rank because the competition is not as big? So for us at the time, we decided to call our recipe vegetarian pad thai with tofu, which is already a bit more specific um, and is telling a bit more about recipe. So uh, by just adding that to the name you don't actually change what you're gonna be cooking but you are being more specific and that will help you uh, rank better and um, then and that always depends on how big your blog is but uh, I think if you are starring you need to be quite specific about the name of the recipe that you're going to be posting <laughs> yeah that goes into keyword research and key phrases and I know some people can get really confused about all of that because it is kind of a confusing topic even for bloggers who have been in it for a long time I think yeah. it's like well, what do I do I do a high ranking keyword yeah. or do I not do I add words to my recipe title do I not so and it's like not a cut and dry thing it's like you have to weigh all of these different options yeah. and you know are you a bigger blogger are you just starting out okay do you put something that's more difficult to rank for. It's just like one of those things that I think stresses people out. But I think testing with it is good, don't you think, Laura? Yeah. I think you need to you need to know as well like there is a, a point where you where you cannot be too specific because people are not going to be looking for so many different words for a recipe. So I think uh, yeah, in this in this sense Trying is good. Trying and making mistakes and you will see that some recipes are not ranking because uh, maybe the, the recipe name was a bit too general and there is already uh, other food bloggers that wrote about it and they have really good content. Or sometimes you go for it and then your recipe will run good and you will get many uh, organic search, uh, organic traffic from, from that recipe. So I think it's it's a matter of trying and it's a matter of knowing where where your blog is standing at a certain point. Um, so what I do as well when I when I have decided on the name of the recipe uh, that I'm going to be writing about, I check the blogs, uh, the food blogs that come for that search. So I normally go into five to ten uh, different recipes and I. I'm not going to say that I read them all from, from top to bottom, but I do kind of go through them and I see the content that they posted and you can find so much useful information there. 
because um, they like food bloggers. Uh, I think like every food blogger has a different things to to add into a recipe. And uh, from reading other 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 blogs, you can you can realize like maybe what value can you add to this recipe that it's already not out there. Uh, maybe what can you talk about that these other blogs are not talking about or you know maybe three blogs made a point that you want to talk about as well because so many people have questions about and uh, something that I found really useful to do as well is to go through the comments because um, people are asking questions and sometimes the the food bloggers will go back and write a paragraph about it, but sometimes they, they don't, they just answer the question. And you might think, okay, maybe I can talk about this in my in my post because a lot of people have questions about it. Maybe it's an ingredient that they don't know where to find. Maybe it's something that they don't know how to cook or, or the time that you need to be cooking this or, you know, so many questions out there that you need to decide which ones are you going to be focusing on, on answering what, what's, What's as well working for your needs? I think the strategy that you just talked through is the most underrated strategy out there. We get caught up with hearing from the experts, you need to do certain things, and we don't always see this thing that's sitting right there. There are other blog posts that rank for the same keyword that you're trying to rank for. So just taking the time, thats I think that's it right there, just taking the time to do it. But taking the time to just go in and just really thoroughly read what they're writing because they are ranking for a reason. Something in their post is resonating with Google and they're ranking high. So go through it, read, and then see what speaks to you within their post. And the going through the comments, Laura, is such a great suggestion. I've done that. Not, I don't do that frequently, but I've done it before periodically. <laughs> I should do it more. And it's really helpful because some of the comments are like, yeah, I, I wouldn't necessarily put that in a post of mine, but some are. Some will speak to me and I'll, I'll think, okay, I need to put this in my post about chili or whatever it is. So that is such a great recommendation. Yeah. And uh, as well, I think I... I normally ask myself, okay, uh, I read all these posts that are ranking really good. What can I do better? So what can we uh, offer the readers that these people haven't really wrote about or that they are not answering? Or how can I add value, basically, to all these posts that are already out there? And uh, sometimes it's really hard because uh, the, the food blogs that come uh, first, when you look for recipes, they're normally really good and, and the pictures are amazing. But uh, we all have a unique uh, blog and, and I'm sure like everybody will find a way to, to still add something to those recipes. The question, how can I add value, I think is so huge and so important to ask yourself when you're creating anything, whether you're comparing it to someone else's or not. Because that's ultimately what we all want to be doing is adding value for our user, for our reader. Yeah, totally. And there is other places that you can get information quicker because uh, this might not seem like the fastest way to, to, to see how you can start writing your, your post. But if I can do it, everybody can because <laughs> I'm really busy. But um, you can as well uh, look on other resources like Answer the Public, this website where you type something that, uh, well, you type your recipe name in this case, and it will give you the most uh, common like questions that people ask. 
or or you can go to Uber Suggest as well. That is an, an a key search that you can put your recipe name and it will tell you the volume of searches for that recipe, or it might suggest you other recipe names. So there is other ways to do this uh, research, but the one I am doing at the moment, uh, I really like it. It uh, gives you so much information. And sometimes you will do it faster, sometimes it takes more time, depends on, on the recipe you want to do or how much information you want to get before you start writing. I I don't want to leave out the photos because otherwise my husband is going to kill me. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, I think photos are a massive piece of um, uh, well, yeah, a massive piece of content on on the on the website, and they are the things that people uh, will check first. So I think by the photo you can actually you already know if you want to be making that recipe or not. And uh, what what I want to say there is like no matter from where you're starting, photography is something that you can learn and you can master. And there are so many tutorials out there that you can do for free on YouTube and uh, you can do even backdrops at home uh, by painting a piece of wood and that's what we actually have been doing um, and then I'm sure at, in your kitchen you have loads of different things to do uh, to put as props or, or you can go to a second-hand shop and get some cutlery uh, to make your pictures look better so I think um, you don't need to get the perfect photos from the beginning because if your content is good if your recipe is good you can always go back to to that recipe and and update the pictures uh, but yeah it's something that it might take a bit a bit of time but you have resources out there to to help you improve in that in that sense there are so many free resources available for food bloggers and photography is no exception you can improve your photography skills really quickly if you just make the decision to dive into it, I think. And even if that just means practicing every single day, getting exactly. out yeah. whatever's in your fridge and just practice, like take a picture and put it on Instagram. You don't need to post it on your blog necessarily, but it is so important to have good pho photography. I completely agree with you, Laura. And so many people look past this. And I see this on Pinterest, especially where people are like, why don't I have any Pinterest traction? And they get so <laughs> frustrated. And I'm like, you I have know. to have good photos, especially on Pinterest, because it's a completely visual platform. Yeah, yeah. So if people see something that doesn't look yeah. appealing or mouthwatering, they're not going to click on exactly. it. You need to have those good you photos. Need to have good light as well. So make sure you have a good light whether it's artificial or natural make sure well you can take photos with your phone if you are starting and you don't have a camera because the phones we have at the moment they they have really good cameras and uh, as i said we we created our own backdrops you don't even need to invest money on that and uh, just just create a little studio where you take your photos and you know the light is good at certain time of the day and just improve from there and the sun is such a great source of light. I mean, it's like perfect, right? So if you can just figure out how to take great photos with the sun, then you've got most of it covered right there. So sure, that's a yeah. huge piece of it. Is there anything you wanted to say about photos before we move on to promotion? No, I think that's it. Okay. So what do you think about promoting? Because starting out, it's hard to get in that mindset of thinking, 
that you need to now promote all of the stuff that you've just created. So what are your recommendations so, for that? Yeah, promotion is a big thing. And I think different things work for different food bloggers. Uh, so I'm going to talk about what, what worked for us so far. Um, and uh, for so at the moment, our three main sources of traffic are Facebook, Pinterest and organic search. And by Facebook, that doesn't come from our Facebook page. As I said before, uh, that doesn't drive much traffic to our website. But um, Facebook in general, it has been driving traffic uh, to the blog since the, since the very first day we started. Um, and then Pinterest and Google are slowly sending us more, more and more traffic every month. Uh, but that takes a little bit longer to, to recognize your page as a trusted information uh, fund. So... Facebook is something that you can do from from day one and if you do it in a smart way uh, it can you can get loads of traffic from from Facebook because millions of people are there so what we did from the very beginning uh, we took our personal accounts so me and my husband and we started joining a bunch of different Facebook groups uh, for recipes so we are a vegetarian family food blog so we joined different groups that were related to that where we could find people that actually shared an interest for food uh, with us so we joined different vegan groups uh, vegetarian pescatarian we joined some family groups or toddler and kid recipe groups and we started promoting our content there and um, we didn't want to be uh, spamming these groups, we didn't want to be going there and saying like, hey, that's our new recipe, yeah, click on it or try it. So we wanted to make it in a way that people could actually, instead of telling them, go to our website, check this website, it was more about recommending a recipe. So we don't pretend that this is not our recipe and we just tried it, found it randomly on the internet, because we don't like to do that either, but we don't make it clear. So. Uh, what we do is we try to uh, interact and connect with people in these groups. Um, and sometimes that means we post two recipes that are similar and we say, okay, would you, would you prefer this recipe or this other recipe? Because uh, we cannot decide. And then you will post links to your, to your two recipes and people are going to start commenting like, oh, I will do this or I will do the other one. Or sometimes we ask, uh, what would you feel like cooking tonight? Uh, we are thinking about cooking this recipe. What do you think? So what we found out on Facebook is that people love talking about their feelings and they love talking about what they want to eat or what do they think about your recipe or which one to choose because people like to have things to choose between. <laughs> so... We started doing that a lot and, and it works really good. So even for me, when I go on Facebook, I sometimes I like to see other people posting two recipes, like which one would you choose? I, I always comment on that because I, I like that. And um, I think it's fun. It's a fun way to interact with people. It's a fun way for people to start knowing who you are. And we do it from our personal accounts, but they still know it's our recipes. And um, in some groups, we already had people telling us like, oh, I saw this recipe the other day and I tried it. So we go and ask them, oh, would you, would you mind leaving a comment on our website to, if, you, if you like the recipe? So it's a way as well of getting comments on your website from people that 
already tried the recipe and they they really liked it. So it benefits us and it benefits the people that that get new recipes to try because that's what they are in this group for, to get new ideas to cook. So I think it's a win-win. And for us, it's, it's worked really, really good to be in these Facebook communities. That's really funny that you mentioned this because I've chatted with another blogger uh, here on the podcast who grew really quickly like you guys did. And that was her number one strategy for getting a ton of traffic really quickly was going into huge, massive Facebook groups and establishing herself as a um, as an authentic kind of user of the group. And she, you know, she, like you said, she wasn't being spammy, but she was actually engaging with the people and building trust. And then once she started her blog, she started doing the same thing you guys did. And she was like, Oh, what do you think about this recipe or this one? And people clicked over and she got a ton of traffic. I mean, she grew like, I want to say after one month, she was on Mediavine. So she grew really, really fast. Yeah, I I actually think Megan that I listened to this podcast. Uh, I think it was oh, there you go. Like, yeah, after the confinement, <laughs> and I I remember because I was listening to the podcast while I was walking in the morning, and I remember thinking like, oh, I need to join more Facebook groups, and I need to really see the Facebook groups that work for our for our blog. So we need to find people that would be interested in our recipes, like. You, if, if you are putting a recipe out there that people are not going to be interested, that's when the spamming thing happens. But if actually people is interested in your content and you're going to be helping people uh, deciding what to cook tonight, let's say, then I think that's that's nice. And, and it benefits you as well because uh, at the end of the day, uh, we are spending loads of time doing our food blog so we can reach people. And... Uh, it's so nice when you get your content there and and you get traffic because it makes everything to be worth yeah, it. That's so true. And strategies like the Facebook one are a win-win because you are going in those groups and you're actually helping people. They're in the groups for a reason. They're not being forced to be inside of there. They're actually there to look for recipes. So you're providing the recipes and then you're getting traffic. So it's a win all around. So I think that the new title of this entire episode should be Underrated Strategies because we're talking about all of these <laughs> yeah. strategies that are so easily overlooked that are just so easy to do and easy to implement in our blogs and in our processes that we put yeah. together our systems. I don't want to underrate I don't want to underrate Pinterest cuz Pinterest is our second source of traffic and, and as I said it's growing slowly. It's not giving us the results that we were expecting from the beginning, but I think it's a it's a, an amazing platform to put your work out there especially for food bloggers cuz if I was using Pinterest before, it was to look for, for recipes. And I think we have a lot to add into into the Pinterest platform. But um, as I said, like Facebook is just so much worth it for us at the moment. And uh, it gives you a true um, review as well, because everybody feels like, free to speak on Facebook and sometimes they would say mean things as well like <laughs> I remember one time I posted a, a vegan nut loaf in a in a in a group that is not for vegans it's, it's just called easy recipe group and I got loads of bad comments like oh this is so dry uh, how can you be making a vegan nut loaf and I was thinking like 
you know, I actually love it. And it's like a Christmas family dinner we have every year. And um, we got really good reviews from from plant-based recipe groups. And we already have reviews on that recipe that people tried it and, and loved it. So I was like, okay, these people are actually mean. But, you know, it, at the end of the day, it's, it's everyone's opinion. And I understand that it might not have been the place to post a vegan recipe because people sometimes get like, oh, why? Why this? Why do they have to do this? <laughs> but, uh, but you know, I think it's a good place as well to know if a recipe is good and it will do good in the future because uh, people just speak up and, and they will be truthful about what they, what they think. They will just be sincere. <laughs> oh, yeah. yes, they are. That is such truth about Facebook, right? They do not have any qualms about stating their opinions. Not at all. <laughs> and, yeah. And you mentioned Pinterest. I think this is actually for me my underrated strategy that I like to tell people about because I grew really fast on Pinterest when I was just starting. And this was like 10 plus years ago when Pinterest was just starting itself. Here's what I did. I mean, it's so simple. I made sure that my photography was quality and that I got at least one good image from every recipe shoot I did that was like really mouthwatering that would make people say, oh my gosh, I need to make that recipe. So that was it. And I put it on Pinterest. And my Pinterest traffic grew. It was wild for so many years. I know. I've been struggling loads with Pinterest. Uh, and I remember at the beginning, I was spending so much time doing these threads where you pin other people's content and they will pin yours back. And uh, then I got the, I, I, I just put my name into this newsletter that they were going to send me every day, like some tips to grow, to grow your Pinterest or to get your Pinterest set up. And that was really helpful. And from there I started uh, growing. But it's just difficult, I think, when you start to figure out how many boards do I need, how many pins do I need be pinning do I need to be pinning just my pins or do I need to pin other people's content so I think and, and still if you ask this question to experts uh, they come out with different answers because Pinterest is changing the strategy as well and uh, we need to keep up with it so um, I've just been in, in into this food blogging world for for nine months and and I feel like it's already changed from when I started uh, and uh, it's difficult to figure out what what's going to work for for our Pinterest account. But I think, like, I trust that in in the near future we're going to start seeing like actual good traffic from it because it's growing every month. It's just like a slow growth. And you guys came into Pinterest during a time that was very unusual because I do think that the growth we've seen in Pinterest in the past year has been really, really unusual, unlike any other year. Because in previous years, it was like what I just said, put up great pins and you will see the traffic. And now that is not the case. Things have changed so drastically. So now it's like, okay, do the story pins that aren't giving you traffic, but do them anyway, because that's what they want. And then they'll favor your other stuff and then create video, you know, so it's like really complicated right now. It's really difficult. And that's, that's how I, we felt with Instagram as well. We feel like uh, people that started on Instagram uh, a few years ago, they grew their, um, their profile like really, really big or their account really big in a short time because at the time 
that was booming. So people would follow other people uh, more often. But I think now people don't follow you as easily as before. Even if they like your content, they don't feel the need to follow your account. And then once you post it, that might not even reach all your followers because that's how Instagram is showing the information now that you are just going to reach a percentage of your followers. The same with the stories, you're going to reach percentage of your followers. So we find uh, Instagram as well really difficult uh, place at the moment to grow your account. There was a sweet spot for every single platform for food bloggers that like so many of us missed out on and we hear those success stories about people who just went from like zero page likes on Facebook to like a million within a short period of time because they they got in on that sweet spot when every single video was just going wild and then that same thing happened with Instagram I got in on the Pinterest sweet spot thank goodness because I've like reaped a lot from my Pinterest traffic but I did not get in on the Facebook sweet spot or the Instagram one so I missed out on those two <laughs> yeah I'm in the Facebook group uh, one now so that might just uh, go off in a few months but I think at the moment it's something that uh, it can work for many many food bloggers uh, and what we do as well um, the recipes that we have in our website are recipes that we cook uh, not weekly but we cook often and some of the recipes we do cook weekly some of the recipes we cook them like twice a week or twice a month so what we do is every time we cook a recipe that it's already on our blog, uh, we just take a picture with our phone, like a simple picture of me holding the plate or or our toddler holding the plate. So then we promote that as well as a recipe. Like we just say uh, on the Facebook groups, like, oh, that was my lunch day. What did you guys have for lunch? So it's a way of starting a conversation. And I leave the link to the actual recipe, which happens to be our recipe on the blog. And uh, that brings traffic again. So uh, by that, I want to say to just not promote the recipe once it's fresh, post it in the, in the blog. Like keep promoting the recipes because I'm sure uh, many food bloggers end up cooking loads of the recipes from their own food blog um, every month. And, and that's another chance to promote your content without taking the perfect picture or step-by-step photos <laughs> so yeah it's a simple way that we find as well to keep promoting things every week repurposing and that also laura is another underrated strategy i believe yeah so i'm really glad that you mentioned that is there anything else you have about promoting you've covered facebook how that was a really quick way to get your foot in the door and get traffic really quickly Pinterest is great if we can ever figure out what's going on this year. Yeah. Um, what about organic traffic? What are your thoughts on that? So the organic traffic, we have just recently started seeing like uh, a big amount of traffic from that, uh, from Google Discover that I've never heard about before. So <laughs> I'm a bit like bad in this sense, but for my knowledge, but uh, we, we were just seeing this uh, growth in organic traffic and it came from Google Discover because apparently some of our recipes were going to be showing there. But um, it's something that you need to be patient with because uh, I read that when I started the blog that it might take at least six months for Google to recognize your recipes as, as like uh, a trusted uh, place for information. 
and um, I think it's true. Like it took us some months to start seeing traffic from from organic search. But I think if your content is good and you have good pictures and your recipes, you're you're using plugins such as a recipe card. If if your if your recipes have what Google is asking for, I think uh, it will happen. Eventually, it will happen. You just need to be a bit patient in in that in that sense. Yeah, and and as well, uh, I know we all try to 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 write our blog post so it has all Google requirements, but uh, we need to keep having personal uh, recipes. Like you need to keep showing who you are in your recipes. Why are you writing this recipe? And write a little bit about how you got to know the recipe. Is it a family favorite? You know, still you need to have a bit of you, a bit of yourself uh, on the blog and while meeting other Google uh, requirements. But I, I wouldn't get too crazy about it. Like we've never been really, really upset about these things and, and it seems to be working for us. So, yeah. It's a balancing act and I think it takes time just to figure out how to balance that. And it can be such a point of frustration for food bloggers because it is a longer game and you do need that patience to get through it because it's like you start making changes and you want to see results immediately. And that just doesn't happen with Google. I'm interrupting this to let you know that that was part one of my episode with Laura Arteaga. And if you want to continue listening to part two, you will need to go into the Eat Blog Talk community. You need to be a member to hear us talk about how Laura organizes all of this work that she does and also for tips on free blogging resources and so much more. Go to eatblogtalk.com to become a member and this episode is not all you will be finding inside of our membership. There's so much more, you guys. I really hope you uh, consider becoming a member this year in 2021 because we are putting a huge focus on planning and just being productive with our time and so many other great tools and resources are available for you inside of there. So we'll see you over in the community. Until then, I'm going to end this episode with um, telling you where Laura's show notes can be found and a few last words from her. So thank you for listening. Laura, we will put together a show notes page for you. And if anyone wants to go peek at that, you can find them at eatblogtalk.com forward slash six hungry feet. Laura, tell everyone where they can find you online. So they can find us on Instagram where we share the, the latest recipes. Uh, it's at six hungry feet or on the website. We have an email there that you can reach to us and feel free to ask us anything you want to know or any a piece of advice you, you 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 might think you can get from us and our Facebook page as well. So yeah, we'll be happy to be in touch with anyone. Well, thank you so much again, Laura, for being here. And thank you for listening today, food bloggers. I will see you next time. We're glad you could join us on this episode of Eat Blog Talk. For more resources based on today's discussion, as well as show notes and an opportunity to be on a future episode of the show, be sure to head to eatblogtalk.com. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll be here to feed you on Eat Blog Talk.